0: Hello, and welcome to BioEats World, a podcast at the intersection of bio, healthcare, and tech. I'm Olivia Webb, the editorial lead for bio and health at A16Z. In today's episode, bio and health general partner, Jorge Conde, chatted with Kevin Parker, co-founder and CEO of Cartography Biosciences. Together, they discuss immuno-oncology, current challenges in drug targeting, and the mechanisms cartography and others are using to advance the field of immunotherapies. Let's get started.
1: I'm thrilled to be here today with Kevin Parker, the co-founder and CEO of Cartography Biosciences.
2: Thank you for having me. My first question for you is, what is immuno-oncology? Immuno-oncology is this thinking about how we can activate the immune system and how we can get it to do things that we want it to do. So our immune system is very good at fighting off infections, for example. And as it turns out, you can get the immune system to try to ramp up in the presence of cancer and start to fight it off. And so there's this whole field of immuno-oncology, immunotherapies, thinking about how we can use the immune system as a tool to fight cancer. And so for us, that means how do we think about turning it on, turning it off, redirecting it, getting it to go where we want to do what we want, and use therapeutics to try to do that.
1: So the immune system is, of course, this wondrous thing that protects us, as you as you pointed out. Sometimes in the cases of things like autoimmune disease, it revs up too much, right? And it attacks cells in our body that are otherwise normal cells or healthy cells or tissues in our body that are otherwise normal, healthy tissues. And that, of course, can create all kinds of, of diseases, autoimmune disorders and the like. That's sort of effectively the other side of the coin, right? When the immune system runs too hot, we get autoimmune disease. In some ways, when the immune system runs too cold, and I'm oversimplifying, but when it runs too cold, it might not see certain things that are cancer and therefore allow those cancer cells to proliferate because the immune system isn't seeing them, targeting them, eliminating
2: them. In a perfect world, we'd say only ramp up exactly where we want, only ramp up on the patient's cancer. And so for us, then the question becomes, okay, how do we target therapies? And maybe just to zoom out a little bit, um, or zoom out really a lot. If you think about all the drugs that we have on the market, um, we have drugs that have a lot of side effects and in a perfect world, you'd have these drugs that only go where you want and only do what you want, you know, just in that particular uh, region of the body, because in general disease comes from a particular part of the body. It's not the entire body going haywire. It's just some particular cells and some particular tissues. And you can think about drugs like antihistamines, you know, you get a congestion, uh, congestion in your nose. You can of that you also get kind of sleepy and kind of hazy in your brain. Or, you know, kind of a more serious end chemotherapy where you have these drugs that act systemically, you take it, it washes throughout the body and they hit cancer cells. They stop them from dividing as well. Um, But they also hit cells in the body you would ideally want to avoid. They have these toxicities in the hair and the skin and the gut. And the
1: reason for that is because chemotherapies aren't going after cancer cells. Chemotherapies are going after rapidly dividing cells, which cancer cells happen to be, but we have other rapidly dividing cells in the body. So that's why we see all of these toxicities, right?
2: Exactly. There's nothing about chemotherapy that necessarily says, you know, only target cancer cells. Exactly. Like you said, it's just a drug that kills proliferating cells, rapidly dividing cells in the body. And so then you can think about this drug going into the body and it's sort of like you're throwing a dart at a dartboard. You're trying to hit a patient's cancer. And you hit it half the time and you miss half the time. Half the time you miss and hit the hair or the skin or the gut, these rapidly dividing cells. And because of that, you have both, you've got two problems. You've both got the toxicities, which are bad for patients, are really hard to go through. But you also dilute out the advocacy and dilute the degree to which you can make that drug potent, because you have to balance this toxicity and the advocacy for that patient. But you can imagine if we can make our drugs go exactly where we want. And only target the patient's cancer. So every time you throw the dart at the dark where right, it only hits cancer, you could make it much more potent, much more precise, and really ramp up the efficacy of that drug. And so for us at cartography, we think about this very big picture. How can we make our drugs go exactly where we want? And zooming in a little bit, we think about oncology. How can we target just cancer, like you said? And then zooming in even more, we think about how can we use the immune system to target cancer. And so to answer the question you asked about how we do that, how can the field engage the immune system and redirect it to just cancer? We use these tools called antibodies. Antibodies,
1: if we're being overly simplistic, like antibodies are the, the hashtags of the immune system.
2: Yeah, we've got all these cells in the body and some of them have a red flag on the surface, some have a green flag, some have a blue flag. A virus comes in and it has a purple flag and then the antibody recognizes everything that's purple and it goes and binds and conglomerates there. And then it triggers the immune system. Okay, And so normally T-cells have a T-cell receptor, which is a little bit different, um, but they bind to get activated on particular cells. And what it turns out you can do is introduce a chimeric antigen receptor, or CAR, where you take effectively an antibody and hook it up to the signaling domains from a T-cell receptor. And so instead of the T-cell recognizing its normal target, you redirect it to the thing you want it to target, whatever the antibody binds to and so this is one way that we think about immunotherapies, um, redirecting the immune system to target just particular parts of the body. And it turns out that you can do this not just with CAR T cells, chimeric antigen receptor T cells, but other type of uh, antibody involving drugs. So there's another class of T cell engaging biologics, where you have a drug that binds tumor cells on one end and T cells on the other end. And so basically, it's kind of just like a bridge, where it says, okay bind this, bind the tumor, bind the other side, bind T cells, bring them together and get the T cells to activate and target those cells. And so what's exciting is that the field has developed these tools to target and kill cells. What the field doesn't quite know is how do we do that targeting? But let, let's tease that apart if we could for a second.
1: So you've just described that we've we've gotten good at, at building cell therapies or other types of therapy that are good at killing cancer cells. We have targeting tools, things like antibodies that are good at identifying, you know, the purple flags as you describe them. We can put them together effectively so that one can tag and attract the other. Why is this not yet a solved problem? It's a really good question.
2: The field has become very good at engineering the, call it like the drug half. So it's half of the therapeutic that does the killing in this case for cancer what we don't yet fully know is how we do the targeting and so you can think about this class of drugs as having two parts the part that does the killing and then the other part that does targeting and so the reason we can't yet do this broadly is we don't know what to target to use a flag analogy like given a purple flag or a brown flag or a black flag we know how to get the receptor to go to that we know how to make that receptor you know it's not like it's a trivial thing but but there's a ways that we know how to do it we know how to make antibodies but the question is should it be the blue flag the green flag the purple flag which one is the one that we're trying to go after on that cancer
0: cell
1: and part of the problem is i assume that we want to make sure that if we see a, a purple flag on a cell we want to target that there isn't a cell that we don't want to target that also happens to wave a purple flag
2: yeah that's exactly it and we've seen this born out with existing therapeutics Um, So CD19 CAR-T therapies, for instance, these are the first cell therapy, CAR-T therapies to come to market. They target a protein called CD19. Um, It's a protein that's expressed in our B cells. And so this, for example, is like one of those purple flags that we're targeting. And the drugs work amazingly well. Um, These patients who are in late stage disease and who have failed other courses of treatment, over half of them have complete responses, like really, really incredible but also there's a high rate of neurotoxicity. It turns out that half of patients have side effects in the brain. And it turns out that it's in part because there's expression of this particular gene, this particular protein, CD19, in the brain. And so back, like you said, we're targeting B cells, which is great if a patient has B cell cancer, we can wipe that cancer out. But we also sometimes target other cells we didn't want to, and that can cause side effects.
1: How do we control the beast once we've unleashed the beast in terms of the immune system itself? But a lot of what the immune system does is, at least as I understand it, it, it functions in cascades. And so by initiating an immune response can result in a broader immune response or a bigger immune response as it recruits more you know, aspects of the immune system. And in the form of, for example, cancer immunotherapies like CAR-T, one of the big challenges has been deaths from over-reactive immune systems, you know, what people refer to as cytokine storms. Can you describe, A, what a cytokine storm is, and B, how we think about managing that for the next generation of immunotherapies?
2: Yeah, it's, it's a good point that you raised. So uh, with CD19 CAR-T therapy, for instance, there's two broad classes of adverse effects seen in patients. One is the neurotox that I mentioned, um, but the other big one is cytokine release syndrome, cytokine activation. And this is basically because you're massively killing off cells in the body, and you're globally ramping up the immune system, it kind of gets excited, like you said. And it's something that we have to manage in patients. And so you can either think about perhaps dosing the drug over a longer period of time or making the drug work a little bit more slowly so you don't trigger that massive wave of response in patients. And we also have some drugs that we can use to sort of tamp down the immune response, tamp down that cytokine um, response. And so when you go into in a clinical setting, that's where the clinician is really paying attention to the patient, understanding what's going on there, And managing the disease of some of these drugs that we have to to actually turn down the immune system Um, and it's that balance that really you know leaves a success in in patient outcomes one of the things that you highlighted
1: was this idea that we're trying to find the the flags that are uniquely expressed in cancer and an ideal in an ideal world not expressed on non-cancer or healthy cells how do we go about doing that because we're of course not able to query every single cell in the body
2: yeah, so, so we've actually made a lot of progress here. And this is where I think it's an exciting time in the field of immunology and immunology and genomics. Like you said, the first thing you'd want to do is understand what's expressed where across every cell in the body. You know, there's not necessarily an infinite number of cell types in the body. There's a ton of them. There's, there's hundreds, thousands of them. Um, but it's not infinite. Uh, you have neurons in the brain, You have T-cells, B-cells, different cells in the immune system, and you can kind of drill down and get finer and finer and finer. But eventually, these cells tend to adopt particular cell states. you measure enough cells, enough tissues, enough patients, you can get a pretty comprehensive map of what the body looks like. You can kind of use this analogy, like if you've got a giant field of grass, there's some weeds in there somewhere. In order to target the weeds, you've got to understand first the entire field of grass. So you do have to measure every single blade on its own one by one, um, it's a huge exercise the first time, but then you build that map and you say, okay, now I know the baseline. And now when I measure the weeds on their own, I can compare it to that map I've already built and do some analysis to say, ah, you know, this is the really specific thing that we can go after on cancer. So big effort, but actually it's something that, that is doable now. Can you walk me through,
1: you know, what are the 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 various technologies that give us the ability to do this now in a way that wouldn't have been possible, say five years ago or 10 years ago?
2: Yeah. Ultimately, what we want to measure are the things on the cell surface that the immune system can recognize. So these are called antigens. And in general, it's proteins that we have on the cell surface. And so thinking about how how cells work, how the genome works, um, we have DNA in our genome. That DNA is transcribed into RNA. That RNA is then translated into proteins. And some of these proteins end up on the cell surface. And so ideally, what we want to measure is the entire genome, what's on and what's off. Because it turns out that different cells express different things. So the brain cells need the brain genes, the liver cells need the liver genes. Some are expressed in all of them, but others are very specific. And so the first thing you have to measure is the entire genome, what's on and what's on. And you can do that a few different ways. You can try to measure um, the proteins. You can try to measure the RNA. Um, it turns out for some reasons that measuring the RNA is a little bit easier to do in a genome-wide manner. Um, because ideally, if you want to make this map, you want to measure everything and do it in an unbiased genome-wide manner. And so, we use these tools like RNA sequencing to measure the entire uh, genome of what's expressed and what's on in different cells. And so, that's the first tool, um, and that's actually been around now for for a decent amount of time. There's been some iterations and evolutions of how we measure the RNA, but the principle of measuring RNA and quantifying it, and you can imagine sort of like this, you know, Excel chart but much more complicated, but you have gene one, gene two, gene three, gene four, and how many units it's expressed.
1: Which is fascinating. So when we, we're measuring RNA, right, we're measuring two things, as I'm just hearing you describe it. One is what genes are being expressed in that cell, specifically in different cell types will will express different genes, and at what volume yeah. those genes are being played, if you will. You know, if the, if the genes are a musical score, the number of transcripts of RNA is the volume at which that music is being played. Okay, so that's one That's one technology. Yeah. What else has come, come together here?
2: Yeah, so the first one is measuring RNA, like we just talked about. The second one is how you measure it and how fine-grained you can measure it. And so we use this technique called single-cell RNA sequencing. Typically, the way that people have measured RNA is based on what's called bulk measurements. I'll get into this in a second. So if you think about um, your the lung, for example, we know that there's tons of different cell types present in the lung. It's not just all one monolithic tissue, but you've actually got blood vessels in there. You've got immune cells in there. You've got the cells that are actually involved in breathing. And what we've tended to do or traditionally done in the field is measure the entire tissue in bulk um, and get a single measure representing the average of all the different cells that are present in that particular sample. And one analogy that we use for this, it's a little bit silly, but I think works it's a smoothie analogy, where you can imagine you have an apple, a pear, a banana. Those are different cells that are present in the tissue. We know they're all different. But what we measure in the book is a blended average of all of them. Measure that smoothie. No actual cell has that measurement, but that's what we're measuring. We're measuring something that's kind of a proxy for everything underneath. But with single cell sequencing, we measure the apple on its own, the own, the pear on its own. I mean, we get much more nuance.
1: And so what helps us bridge that gap between you know,
2: individual fruits and smoothies. This is where a lot of the analysis comes in. And so to go back to the tools, we first got RNA sequencing. We then are doing RNA sequencing at a cell-by-cell level. And that's something that we've really, I think, in the field only come into its prime in the past maybe five or eight years, being able to do this and now do it at scale. So mapping out millions of cells in the body, you're generating tons and tons and tons of data. Um, and then the third piece is the computational methods. How do we actually find insight from all this data? Because it's so much that you, you can't just look at it and try to be like, ah aha, you know, this is the thing. Um, there's just way more than you could actually ever analyze without advanced methods. And so the way that we make sense of this is by taking all the data, using machine learning methods to say, okay, these cells are similar, these cells are different. You can imagine making this map, you know, this clump is all T cells, clump is all B cells, This clump is the blood vessels from the lung. This clump is the neurons in the brain. And then, you know, much, much more fine grain than that. And then for each of those clumps, we know, okay, genome-wide, their RNA signal is really high for these genes, low for those genes, medium for those genes. And then we layer on a patient's cancer. Again, doing the same thing, breaking it apart into one by one by one, measuring each cell on its own, what genes they express. And because we have this map built out of what's expressed, you know, in general in the healthy state. And then we layer on what's expressed in the cancer state. And then you layer on the methods and the computational analysis. We can say, okay, these are the five flags we should be going after on that patient cancer. And that's, I think, the advance of field it's had over the past few years. Really, it's this integration of how do we engineer the chassis of the drugs themselves? Then how do we find the targets to go after and use genomics and computational biology and merge it all together um, to advance things for patients? On the
1: therapeutic side, we have... Um, the ability to engineer these very powerful drugs and to have them target you know specific cells. And on the targeting side, we now have essentially the convergence of three things that have come together to enable us now to be able to figure out what to target. And if I were summarizing, I would say those three things are, one, the ability to do you know, high-level genomic analysis, two, the ability to do it at single-cell resolution, and three, the ability to take all of this massive data generated by canvassing large groups of cells and make sense of it using uh, advanced computational analyses like machine learning. Where do we go next? Because I can imagine there are are a couple of of avenues one could go down, right? One is to say, should we be analyzing every single patient's tumor and try to develop a end-of-one therapy for their cancer? It's probably not very practical. So then the question becomes, are these differences between cancer cells and immune cells, do they hold across populations?
2: You can imagine, like you said, maybe it's a case that every patient is just so different that you have to design a new approach for each one. But it turns out that while not every patient is the same, they tend to have some similarities. Cancer tends to use similar mechanisms in patients. And so you end up with patients who fall into these groups. And then we think about making drugs for each of those groups. So it's not like you have to treat individual patients totally distinctly on their own. But it's also not like cancer is all just the same. We know that different differences exist across patients. But we can find these groups and say, okay, group one, uh, your cancers look like this. You should get this drug or this set of drugs. Group two, and it's going to be this set of drugs. And then you do that the same thing for each of those different groups and you just march down um, one by one and and rationally engineer the approach for each of them.
1: That makes sense. So let's shift gears, if we could, for a second to cartography, to what you're doing.
2: So cartography is taking a platform approach, meaning we built um, a method, a platform to find targets. And so we focus very early on the chain of drug development. How do we find the things that we target How do we get the molecules, the antibodies that we use to target them, and then plug into all the advances the field has made on existing therapeutic chassis? So like we talked about, the field knows how to, uh, given a target, how to target particular cells, but they don't know the targets. And so what we focus on is the genomics, the computational biology, the analysis, the early R&D to find the targets and get the preclinical therapeutics. But then think about partnering with other companies and leveraging all the advances that we've made on the early R and D end, with the advances that other companies have made on the later stage end, and trying to pull those two things together for patients. Okay, so you're you're in the
1: flag finding business. Yes, exactly. You described Cartography as a platform company. How do you, as the CEO, balance the age old question in biotech of, you know, for any given dollar, where do I invest it? Do I invest it in my platform? Or do I invest it in advancing programs forward? How do you think about that that tension and that conundrum?
0: Yeah,
2: it's a good question. The, the way that I like to think about this is actually to take some of the economics out of it first and just think about patient impact. Ultimately, like you're talking about, if a company chooses to follow one drug from early discovery all the way to clinic, all the way to commercializing it and getting FDA approval, that company's impact is limited to just that one drug. And it can be an amazing impact. Don't get me wrong. It's a huge impact. But that company's technology is really focused on just that one drug. On the other hand, if we're able as a company to focus on early discovery, doing what we do best and advancing multiple different drugs, multiple different programs, we hope that we can have a larger impact on patients. So for us, we really like to think about patients first, what advances things for them. And for us, we feel like we have a unique discovery approach. We have a unique angle on the early R&D. And so as we think about this as a company, we want to maintain that. On the other hand, like you said, there's a balance between uh, advancing programs so that those programs ultimately build value for the company. And so it's a mix of those two things. We do want to carry some programs forward so that we have some programs we really believe in. We advance them more downstream to create more value for the company, but make sure that we keep that early R&D engine uh, going as well. Of the um,
1: approved immuno-oncology drugs out there, how many targets do they go after?
2: Pretty small handful. It's We're talking handful. like less than 10.
1: It's astounding to me that the entire field has gone after a small handful of targets in immuno And using the advances that you have just described, we may have increased the number of targets to go after, we may be in a position where we soon have multiples more targets to pursue with these immuno-oncology tools.
2: Yeah, it's, I mean, like we've got really good hammers. We have a handful of nails and every single hammer is working on the same nails. But it's been incredible for us uh, over the past couple of years at cryptography just to see, you know, when we really focus in, bring all these advances together, focus on one particular problem, how do we find those targets? that, like you said, we've been able to find um, multiples more than what the field is going after today.
0: Thank you for joining BioEats World. BioEats World is hosted and produced by me, Olivia Webb, with the help of the bio and health team at A16Z and edited by Phil Hegseth. BioEats World is part of the A16Z podcast network. If you have questions about the episode or want to suggest topics for a future episode, please email bioeatsworld at A16Z.com. Last but not least, if you're enjoying Bioweight's World, please leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Please note that the content here is for informational purposes only, should not be taken as legal, business, tax, or investment advice, or be used to evaluate any investment or security, and is not directed at any investors or potential investors in any A16Z fund. For more details, please see A16Z.com slash disclosures.